You are listening to episode three of the Walk Run Podcast. In this interview, I interviewed Brother Coley and Sister Anna Reese. These two wonderful people evangelize and were kind enough to let me show you what they do and how they do it. Brother Coley was a youth pastor in Georgia before he switched to evangelizing. His wife, Sister Anna Reese, was raised in church and has a background in the music ministry. They both used these previously attained skills to reach people in their ministry. If you want more information or want to stay informed on the Walk Run podcast, join us on our new Instagram page, walk underscore run underscore podcast. Join me as I interview Brother Coley and Sister Anna Reese. Good to see you guys today. Um, it's such a pleasure to get to interview you two wonderful, wonderful people. What is the opportunity like to uh, get to expound and show young people what it's like to, to be an evangelist? What's the opportunity like to be mm-hmm. able to do that? It's yes. an amazing opportunity to know that you're actually answering a call that God has called you into. Uh, it's been a process and a time. It isn't something that happens overnight. When God's placed a calling on your life, he has lined you up through years of your growing up experiences you've been through. Uh, and and just all depends on your prayer life. And as you pray and as you walk and as you study and as you get closer to God, God begins to reveal things to you. So uh, I've always had a desire for young people, and it just kind of transitioned to evangelizing now. So it's always been an honor. That's great. Um, so you pretty much gave it to us. That so you travel uh, and evangelize. Um, how often do you travel? Uh, it it just depends on certain times of the year. Um, first couple of months of the year right around the christmas season not as much but uh right around march from then on out till december is pretty much about every weekend to every other weekend sometimes midweek services depending on how far they are if they want to have me come in to do a midweek service teach or it's usually friday night saturday sunday kind of situation so pretty much every weekend just about that's great so what is involved in the job of an evangelist or being an, an, evangel- an evangelist family that uh, is behind the scenes that people that only see the sermon may not understand or know about? What is involved as far as being a, an evangelist yes. uh, in comparison to pastors? And Is that what you mean? Yes. Okay. Well, an evangelist uh, definitely is a different um, situation in that as far as comparison to like a missionary, a pastor. A pastor, they have the privilege and the honor of watching people grow and watching people be filled with the Holy Ghost and begin to stay with them weekly, go to their house to pray with them, visit them at the hospitals and things of that sort. And an evangelist, um, unfortunately, they don't have, they have the great honor, I shouldn't say unfortunately at first, fortunately we have the great honor of going to churches that we've never been, seeing people we've never met and watch them receive the Holy Ghost. We don't know all the time that's been spent through the pastor who's been praying for this person, how many years this person's been sitting here tarrying for the Holy Ghost. We have no idea about this. I remember one time I went to preach uh, at a pastor's church here in Georgia, and they had a 90, gracious, 94-year-old gentleman there who was a a veteran who'd been there for years, and, uh, and the pastor was telling me before the service, he said, you know, he was just making a joking comment to me. He said, man, it's good to have you here, Brother Reese. I've got a gentleman that's been in my church for I don't know how many years. He's a 94-year-old vet, and he's been tearing for the Holy Ghost and praying for the Holy Ghost for years. Man, if you pray him through the Holy Ghost, I'll give you my car, you know, being funny. You know, and we just sat there and laughed about it. And then when service before service started, he introduced me to the gentleman, a great man. And I preached a service, and uh, when I got through preaching and gave the altar call, he was midway through the sanctuary crying, which pastor said he does that quite often. Well, I walked over there to him, began to talk him through prayer, and 
he received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you know. I haven't been there through all the years that pastor had been sitting with him. I'm just a passing through evangelist. I don't get the opportunity to see the process these people go through to get there. So much credit goes to these pastors for so much work, prayer, time, investment into these souls. And sometimes it seems like us evangelists come in there and get all the glory because somebody gets the Holy Ghost. I don't take that at all. I still look back and say, Pastor, whatever y'all are doing, keep doing it. You know, I was just able to come in here and reiterate some things you've already said, prayers that y'all have been praying, fasting y'all have been mm-hmm. fasting, and, and an evangelist comes in, and that's the great dynamic there. I guess it's, a pastor is able to sit there and watch the process. Evangelist mm-hmm. comes in there and waters the seed that the pastor is already planted. Amen. That's a, that's a good point that, that I didn't think most people knew. I didn't know that for sure. What is one thing when you are going to that to a church and you're preaching to people that you haven't met, what, how do you prepare a sermon at such a short notice? Maybe you're notified a week before or a month before, depending on, it can be longer or shorter, but how do you prepare on such a short time uh, notice? Well, I have found out that when it comes to preparing a sermon, especially if I, I have been called on Saturdays, Saturday nights and asked, hey, Pastor, or hey, Brother Reese, I'm, I'm going to be out of town. Something came up. Can you come preach my Sunday service? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then I'll go and preach. There have been times where I have had something heavy on my heart already and a door opened and I had the opportunity to speak that. But there's other times, a lot of times when I'm not a full-time evangelist, I guess you can call me a part-time, people call me a part-time evangelist, whatever, on the weekends, I I give so much credit to the full-time evangelists, it's their lifestyle, especially through this Mm -hmm. pandemic we're going through. They're struggling to find Mm -hmm. places to preach, and I really, I pray for those evangelists, and I'm very blessed to have a job. But I said, but, but a lot of times the sermons that God gives me, it is in a process of days and weeks of me living. A lot of pastors can, can amen this thought that I'm about to throw out there right now. They know exactly what I'm talking about. Sermons, sometimes they don't come to you like, whoa, I'm sitting down for dinner. All of a sudden a thought hits me. I just got a sermon. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's because of things you've gone through through an entire week. Maybe it's been a month of trial you've been through and you've begun to get nuggets of gold throughout that process of, of living for God. And it's just like a, every day there's nugget of gold God will drop in your lap. And I just kind of tuck that away. I'll whip out my phone. I'll put down a note. Hey, there's a there's a thought right there I want to touch on, and before you know it, something else happens that week. Oh, man, that'll go with that. And, and then I begin to pray, and I, and I begin to allow God to lead me to what area he wants me to focus on. Before I go to preach anyway, I always pray, God, you know that church where I'm going. You know what they're battling with. You know what the pastor's dealing with, what the saints are dealing with, what visitors are going to be there, people who's got the Holy Ghost, people who don't, people who need a healing. You know this. So, Lord, before I get there, go ahead and prepare that way before me and give me the words you want me to say. Because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going in there blind. I don't have a clue. These are your sheep. These aren't mine. I'm just doing your work. So God will sometimes, and there's been times I've got up to preach. <laughs> and, and I thought I knew what I was going to preach. And I've been sitting on the platform. And God telling me while I'm sitting there, you're not preaching that tonight, buddy. Mm-hmm. You know, and I go to that pulpit and just allow the spirit to flow. So uh, it's all about connecting in the spirit, being sensitive to the atmosphere at the moment. It's really hard to explain it until you're out there in it. But as far as just a sermon, thoughts, it's just a process. It's, it's a daily work. Um, that's that's a really, really, really good point uh, that I didn't know much about. If you're willing to share, what are like, some of the specifics? I know I've interviewed uh, music directors and or a music director so far, and they structure how the service will flow through the music. How do you structure a sermon like beginning to end? How does that, how does that work, your dynamic? Well, that again is something that you kind of have to see in the moment. 
you don't really know, especially if it's a church you've never been to. You don't know how the service is going to open. You don't know what song they're going to sing. Sometimes they'll tell you, they'll give you a, a layout, but you don't have that the night before or a week before. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't you don't have a clue. It's, it's hard to find out how it's going to be structured. There again, it's, it's as far as uh, in time of prayer, what I feel like I want to say, the service opens up. I begin to feel after the service, feel after the atmosphere that I begin to look at the people or watch throughout it. I know it kind of seems, I wish this was more supernatural. I could tell you, you know, I'm on the platform and God gives me a cloud of glory that floats over the crowd. A dove lands on my shoulder, speaks into my ear and says, thus thou speaketh. You know, it's not like that. <laughs> it's more of a, it's, it's, you just kind of have to, not everything has to be spooky and supernatural. I remember Brother mm-hmm. Kleindance mentioned that one time as a guy, greatly respect him as a great evangelist, great man of God, a prophet. And he had said that one time he said, when you're moving in the spirit, it doesn't always have to be spooky and supernatural. Sometimes you just need to keep your eyes open. Just look around, watch the crowd, begin to feel out what's going on. And you can tell the direction you have it. There have been times the service did not open up and the flow that I felt I could communicate good after and bless my beautiful wife that is with me. Uh, she comes in there when she's able to travel with me, she'll get up and play a song. And we don't even know what that song is ahead of time. She'll feel something, and then I'll ask her what's, what you're playing, and then she'll tell me, and we'll flow right into that, and it prepares. Then I begin to feel the release. I begin to feel, okay, now the people are ready. But it's not always something you can prepare ahead of time for. Mm-hmm. You. It's very fluid, I guess you could say. <laughs> On top of that, above the sermon's flow, do you have an interesting way of organizing notes that maybe young preachers would like to use? Because I know personally I'm a miserable note taker when it comes to school or anything else. So do you have any interesting tips? Do you color? Do you highlight them? Do you, <laughs> do you use paragraphs? Do you bullet point? How, how do you do it? Uh, yeah, I have to give I have to give credit to a book I read years ago. Um, uh, Brother Trey Davis gave me a book, my brother-in-law. He gave me a book. He, it was called Communicating for a Change by Andy Stanley. I read that book, and I was just wanting to get some information on, because I was just starting out. I didn't know how to prepare a sermon. My mind flows. I am so attention deficit. I mean, I have to stay on track, and I don't know how to. I didn't know how to. And uh, Andy Stanley laid out a pattern to how to get your thinking in line when you're beginning. To, like, for instance, I have a thought. I want the people to know that God loves them, and God wants to save their soul. So brother, uh, brother Andy Stanley said that, um, he said, when you're thinking of a thought and in a sermon, Ask yourself these questions. What first question you need to ask them is, what do you want them to know? Write that down on a piece of paper. Now, the next question you ask yourself is, why do they need to know it? And then you answer that question. And then you ask them, what do you want them to do about it? And then the next question is, why do they need to do it? If you can answer those four questions in your thought pattern, what do I want them to know? I want God. I want them to know that God loves them. No matter what they've gone through, God can still save them. Why do you want them to know that? Because, and then in my sermon, I begin to break down, because every person's born a sinner. This is why they need to know this. Nobody's saved in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. You can't save yourself by grabbing your bootstraps and pulling them up. Why do they need to know this? What do you want them to do about it? Well, this is the pattern. Then I begin to take, write down things of what I want them to do as far as you're hearing me preach, but I don't want you just to say, hey, he preached good. I want you to go home with some meat in your walk with God. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You need to start, and then I'll break it down. The pattern of scriptures, I always follow up with some illustrations. I always have scriptures and word. You can't preach a sermon without giving them some word. I mean, that's just not even a sermon. You got to have some mm-hmm. word. So give them scriptures as far as why they, what they need to do about it. And then I end it with, you know, what I want them to do, why they need to do it, what do they need to do about it? Why do they need to do it? Is because they need to know that if they do not fulfill this calling God has for them, they're going to walk out the same way they came in. 
mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're going to go out empty. They're going to have an opportunity handed to them, and they're just going to walk away from the hand that God tried to present it to them with. So my breakdown is I answer these questions. It helps me stay on track and on thought. Now, when I'm preaching, my wife could probably testify to this. I don't always stay on track. Sometimes I start chasing rabbits. Sometimes I flow in the spirit, and I don't even get through with my sermon. If I'm preaching and I see that they've already arrived to the point to where I felt my sermon was going to take them, I'll take away my little pretty little sermon, and I'll tuck it away, and I'll flow and let them pray. The last thing they need to do is suffer through the last 15 minutes of a sermon that they're already ready to get. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm wanting them to get the Holy Ghost and I got 10 people sitting there crying in tears in the altar and wanting the Holy Ghost, what more can I say? We need to pray for them to get the Holy Ghost, you know. It ain't always got to be me fulfilling my time limit, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, the whole purpose of a sermon for a preacher in a service is to get them people to the point God wants them to be at. Once they've arrived, my job is to get out of the way and let God do what he does. Yep. I hope that helps. <laughs> That's that's actually a perfect answer. I really like really like how you worded that and how you put it together. So that that's definitely very very helpful. You did mention that you do travel um, a little bit less often. So um, what's the difference between somebody who travels, uh, you know, two or three times a week to you who travels on the weekends? What are uh, different challenges and what are some of the upsides and positives? Well. <laughs> It's kind of hard to say it because you don't want to discredit full-timers. You don't want to mm-hmm. discredit part-timers like myself. It's a whole different dynamic. Mm-hmm. Full-timers, they, they preach heavy. They travel wherever they can. They never know what's coming. Their total dependency is on a phone call from a church. Sometimes mm-hmm. they'll call. They'll get the word out. They'll, they'll say, hey, call people. Let them know I'm in town. Let me. I need to preach wherever I can because their finances are based on that. Mm-hmm. You know, If they don't get a phone call, they might not eat. You know, Mm -hmm. so they really need to. My dynamic is, and God has allowed me the privilege to preach and and at the same time have a full-time job that I have available access to, you know, and and I consider it a great honor. I'll always walk through that door if God opens it to go full-time. To this point, that door hasn't opened. I feel there's different direction Mm -hmm. that God will possibly take me in the future, but every opportunity that's come, uh, that's one thing about this that that I haven't had to do since God's called me to evangelize. I've never one time had to call a pastor or a church and tell them, hey, I'm in town, I'm nearby, you know, would you like to have me by there? Hey, I need somewhere to preach. God has always opened every single door. A person who does this full time, they are in constant wonder, you know, what door is going to be open? Are we going to preach somewhere this week? It's, we need to find somewhere to preach. We've got to eat. Our family's got to eat. We've got to have gas in the camper. We've got to travel. We've got a lot more travel involved. Me, I do travel. And we, I've gone, flown out on the weekends and flown back to come to work on Monday. It's a, it's a little bit more, I guess you could say, stressful. I don't have the, uh, excuse me, I don't have the downtime to, to begin to sit there throughout the week and prepare long hours of, of study and as far as just waiting to my next service because I have a job I got to get up to mm-hmm. Monday morning. I got to go in at six o'clock and I have to work till four. So I have that whole day there. I have to invest in full-time job. Mm-hmm. And then when that's down, then I have a wife to come home to my children or my son at home now. And, um, I have to invest in my family and then I have to find time to set aside, to study, to focus, to prepare and to begin to do that, you know? So it, it's, it's a lot of real dynamics. It's a big difference between the two as far as I guess you could say I am. Okay. Um, that's, that's great. Um, that teaches how you, you know, the differences in how you cope with them. Um, you've, you've touched on this so far, but how do you feel out what a specific church needs? Cause you've already mentioned how you structure your sermons and what kind of how you'll find out what you preach. 
but how do you feel out what the church needs, especially if it's a church you haven't visited or preached at? Uh, that's that there again is not an easy answer because you don't really know until you're there and you see the crowd. There's been times I've I've gone and I've felt that the church needed what I was saying at the moment in midstream of what I was speaking, realized that something had shifted, something had changed, um, and I had to begin to change my way I'm communicating. I would begin to change and transition to focus, okay, this church needs a healing. This church is broken. They've gone through this. Sometimes, and I, I don't always like it happening, I like to be in the dark. I know that's kind of weird to say that. I like being in the dark. Mm -hmm. going to a church but sometimes pastors will pull you aside and say look we've just been through this you know we've had several families blah 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 I won't give you a lot of personal about people but they'll tell you hey this is what we've been dealing with I'm not telling you what to preach or what area to go into but you know just to kind of give you an idea this is what we've been suffering with and that'll kind of help me but I still stay on track of what I felt God's already given me sometimes you're giving a heads up other times you're just in the dark you flow in the spirit there's been times I have flowed and had no idea that I was actually meeting a need, I was helping somebody until the service was over. Pastor pulled me aside and said, Brother Reese, you have no idea that you just ministered to three or four different families in my church going through exactly what you were talking about. They were broken, they've lost family members, there's been this, there's been that, they had personal issues, and you hit every single one of them. And he never even told me a thing. So I like that because that allows me to get no glory to get no praise in that. A lot of people in church, they don't know that. They give all these evangelists this praise, thinking that they've done all the... A lot of the, the credit goes to that pastor who's been praying and fasting for them sheep that he tends to mm -hmm. every day. We evangelists, we come in there, we preach an amazing service, and they love us to death. And, you know, I just had a recent fan recently who pastors. I was encouraging him, and he was making a comment on the phone. And um, and we were just chit-chatting, and he said, yeah, we're going glad to have you when you come in. I believe the, my saints love you more than they love me. And he was doing it in a jokeful manner, and I had, to, I had to slow him down for a moment. And I began to encourage him and say, look, diff definitely a different love. They appreciate you because you're there all the time. I'm just a passing-through preacher that says the right things, gives colorful illustrations, hits the nail on the head, and they don't realize the nail that I'm hitting on the head was placed there by the hand of that pastor long before I came. That pastor been planting seeds, and all I did was throw some water on it. And just because they saw something spring forth that God brought forth the, the, the harvest, they think the evangelist mm -hmm. did all the amazing work. I'm going to sit there and tell you right now, I just spoke what I felt God gave me, but the pastor does a lot of the work. So I really don't know a lot of times what needs I'm meeting until it's over, and sometimes I go home thinking nothing's, I didn't get through to them at all. And then find out a week later, somebody's life was changed. Somebody came and got the Holy Ghost because of it. Somebody's marriage got put back together. So it, it's, yeah. That's good. You, I was going to ask this, but you've already touched on it three or four times. But evangelizing isn't like pastoring, and I've heard many, no. many, many people say <laughs> oh, that it's that it's a completely different beast. And you no. touched on that in a great point, talking about how uh, it's a constant thing with 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 pastors and how yep. they it's it's one church and they're constantly with Absolutely. with that church family and that congregation and they're always uh, watering and putting seed and seed forth and it's always great to uh, see when the evangelist and the pastor are in tune with the spirit. Is there anything that I've missed that you want to mention that just some tidbits of information, tips that will help people? Well, um, if you feel a call to, to minister, if there's anybody listening that feels a call to minister, I don't, whether it be pastoring, missionary, evangelist, whatever the case may be, you feel a call to take God's word, communicate it to a world that's dying, 
but you feel so unworthy. You feel so unqualified. You feel so, un, un, you just, you don't have, you don't think you have what it takes. Then, you know, to a point, that's a good feeling to have because it's not all about you anyway. But don't discredit the storms that you've gone through, the pain that you've had to suffer. I was raised outside of church. Uh, I started smoking when I was 10, started doing heavy drugs probably when I was, I don't know, 15, 16 maybe. And I did that all the way up until I got in church when I was 20. I was arrested. I had, I have got, I had a, uh, uh, been in jail. I had spent so many times in areas. I had no idea how I got there, how I left, what brought me there. Mm -hmm. So many addictions that if I look back, I could sit here right now and say, what right do I have standing here holding the microphone telling people to get their life right with God? You know, mm -hmm. and, and that could hinder you if you dwell on that. But you got to understand in and of ourselves, we are not able to do anything of God. Jesus looked at his disciples and says, you have not because you asked not. He said, up to this point, you have not asked anything in my name. Without me, you can do nothing, is what mm -hmm. he was telling them. And, and that is the way it needs to be. It never needs to be about, well, I don't have a background. My family's not in church. I'm the only saved person in my family. That's mm -hmm. where I came from. I have no apostolic pedigree. Mm -hmm. I have nobody. I prayed my dad through the Holy Ghost, baptized him in Jesus' name. Besides him and my children and my family, that's it as far mm -hmm. as I know. I've got a great family. I've got great uh, aunts, uncles, cousins, good people, but I'm in the process of praying for them to receive the Holy Ghost. Yeah. I have no pedigree I can lean on and say, hey, this is the lineage I'm bringing up. I have to depend on my children mm -hmm. to carry that on. You know what I mean? So, so before you discredit yourself thinking, you know, I don't know if I could fulfill what God... Let God be God and just be a vessel that he can fill. Mm -hmm. The only reason God was able to continue to fill those vessels for that lady that was housing that prophet that was coming through is as long as she kept getting vessels for him to fill. But as soon as she had no more vessels to bring that were empty, when she got to that point, there were no more to bring, the flowing stopped. Mm -hmm. God can always flow and use a vessel as long as it approaches him empty and saying, look, I'm nothing without you. And that's the way God wants you, nothing without him. Amen. So that's that's another really really good point that you've pointed out. Um, that I obviously you just you came up with there. One thing that we were talking about before uh, we were recording was your past experience being a a youth minister and working with youth in youth ministry. Um, I know many people have taken a jump from being a youth oriented pastor or youth pastor or youth minister and going to evangelizing. So what is helpful in that jump and what were some things that were different that you had to adjust to? Well, I don't, I can't say that it was a jump for me. It was kind of more of a slide kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say, I didn't wake up one day and think, oh man, youth pastoring was good. I rocked that out. Hey, let's try evangelizing. It didn't work like that. I worked with uh, uh, Brother Trey for years. I think I was in youth ministry as far as youth leader all the way up to evangelizing for 15 years is what I did working with young people. I loved it and I love it to this day because I got to watch young people grow in him. But in the process of while evangel, or I'm, excuse, I'm sorry, uh, youth pastoring and talking with young people and helping them out and teaching them on Wednesdays and praying with them in the altars on Sundays, I was beginning to grow in an understanding on how to work with people. If you can work with a young person, you can work with anybody. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you, it teaches you patience. It teaches you long-suffering. It does because a young person, 
a lot of people think young people don't have any problems because they haven't really approached life yet. They don't even have a full job. They're not in college. They haven't been married. They don't have problems. Trust me. They have bullseyes on their back and the devil wants to destroy every one of them. Mm -hmm. They deal with things. It's not like it was when I was a kid. It's a whole lot different temptations they have to deal with. But as I was youth pastoring, doors would open up here and there. Somebody would have me come preach a youth rally and I'd mm -hmm. preach that youth rally and think, wow, that was good. That was exciting. But I'd always go right back to my young people. And, and as I was doing that, it just, doors began to open. It wasn't something I didn't, I had no idea to evangelize. I was happy where I was. I wasn't seeking a pulpit. I wasn't seeking pastorate. I wasn't seeking assistant pastor. I wasn't seeking yep. nothing. Yep. I was perfectly fine watching my young people cry their eyes out in an altar, to leave a youth class on a Wednesday night excited about what they heard, mm -hmm. to decide that when I'm teaching a Bible study somewhere during the week that they want to sit in with me at that Bible study. I was perfectly fine with that. But God saw something there and said, look, I'm going to start transitioning you slowly to an area because I see a door opening for you. Right now, me and my wife still feel that there's more transitions to come. I love evangelizing. I really do. But as we were talking, we were talking about the dynamic of pastoring and evangelizing. Um, I honor pastors so much because as a youth pastor, I, I miss watching that young person grow in what mm -hmm. they heard. I'd have evangelists come in and preach my youth service. They'd leave, and I'm still there with them young people. I watch them take what that evangelist said and grow mm -hmm. on that and do awesome for God and watch them bring people to church. I miss that. So I honor pastors because I, I, I'm still praying God. If God see fit to open a door, I would love the pastor. That's not something I'm going to pursue. I'm something I'm going to wait on a door to open because I would love the opportunity to not only pray somebody through the Holy Ghost in an altar, but sit there and watch them grow and then while their marriage gets put back together then their kids start growing and then that kid starts teaching a bible study before you know it they're starting a campus ministry in their school yeah. and before you know it there's a p7 started over here before you know yeah. it there's that is fulfilling to me i would love to know that my fingerprints were on souls like that to that sort. so mm -hmm. i give great honor and great credit to great men and women of god who have invested in their churches pastors pastors wives who sit there day in day out hospital visits constantly there with them dealing with the same problems over and over again i i, I know it's toiling but i do know as well that has got to be greatly satisfying to, mm -hmm. to watch them overcome these issues evangelists we don't always get to see that we preach a good service. We go out to eat, get some fried chicken. We're heading home. You know, yeah. we don't know what they're dealing with. So mm -hmm. that's that's um, calls back to I interviewed uh, Pastor Donnie Ellis uh, last month, and we talked about uh, his dynamic when he was a youth pastor still. And one thing that you said is you you wanted to see your fingerprints on things, and that's one thing him and I talked about was how um, he wanted to see the world changed. And so yep. changing one person was still changing go. part of the world. And I think that's that's one thing that stuck with me is one person is still part of the world. And Absolutely. you're changing the world when you change one person that's awesome. in one dynamic. That's the um, truth. So uh, one thing is uh, you uh, there is right now we're switching over to Cicerice, Anna Reese, and uh, she's been in church for how many years you've been in church how long you've been doing doing stuff at church <laughs> you've been um, in church uh have you did you start late or did you or were you here your whole life or how, how, how was it born and raised in church so 40 years um started working in and in being involved in ministry probably started i think i started singing around eight or nine Got a little bit 
um, heavier involvement, probably early teens. Um, mm. And then got uh, slung into <laughs> minister uh, music. I'm, th- I'm thinking around 08, 07 or 08. Okay. So around 27, I guess. Okay, so you definitely have more of a music background, um, and I've seen you sing before, and and you have more of a music background to uh, Coley's preaching. Um, he did mention, and I just wanted to touch real quick on the other dynamic of uh, the preacher's wife that some people uh, may not notice. Um, is there some things, before I uh, start off, is there some things that you just want to pitch out there that maybe people don't know, or an interesting dynamic that um, isn't, isn't noticed or... Uh, Um, I think sometimes uh, with ministers' wives, uh, people look at the people that are up front Mm -hmm. a whole lot more. That shouldn't take away from the ministers' wives that are not up front Mm -hmm. as much. You have some people that are are very comfortable with being out front. They don't mind getting behind a mic. Mm-hmm. They don't. Have, they don't even mind taking over whole service. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then you have some of them that are more of the background. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be any less important because sometimes the people that are in the background, the ladies, um, the ministers' wives, pastors' wives, evangelists' wives, sometimes the quiet ones, mm-hmm. they do offer more than what people give them credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to be out front. That's never been. I could take it or leave it. It's not a big thing with mm-hmm. me. But I do have a very strong responsibility um, that I've put on myself, and also God has too, that I am to pray. I am to be Coley's helpmate. Um, mm-hmm. And I can pick up slack on things that he doesn't think about or doesn't want to do or something mm-hmm. like that. But I have a heavy responsibility to pray for him. And mm-hmm. to do anything else that he needs me to do, um, I think some people think that ministry or ministers' wives get the easy side of it, and mm-hmm. that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. It's a great responsibility, even though the husband's up there mm-hmm. and they're up front. the The ladies have a huge responsibility too. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes people um, miss one that. thing you talk about being hand in hand, and I think that's really really important when ministering. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I may have the length of time wrong because um, I'm not the most qualified on on some things. But I remember uh, uh, Billy Cole went out to preach a revival. I forget where it was in a different country, somewhere far far off. And uh, Sister Cole, I think I believe, stayed in the church for a week and fasted for a week and. Uh, they couldn't have had the revival that Billy Cole had without that prayer. And I think right. some people undermine, or, or maybe not undermine in like in a bad way, but forget that um, it's a very important role and a very important position. Absolutely. And I also believe, um, like you are saying, some people think minister, and minister means preaching, when ministers not always mean preaching, and minister doesn't mean having a mic. There are ministers that run a soundboard. There are ministers <laughs> that play the piano, and there are, you know, some people call them different things. There's I've heard churches having sound board pastors and stuff. And you, you could be the you could be the keyboard pastor, whatever it is. But I think everybody in the church has some sort of a ministry, uh, whether they use it or not. That's that's up to them and God, or between them and God. But I think it's definitely important uh, that even when you aren't having a mic or having a front stage, yeah. 
that um, that they're still important. They still have a, a purpose. I think I think I heard somebody say one time that it was preaching, preaching or standing behind a pulpit is probably ten percent of your ministry. Absolutely, mm-hmm. that's it's that is, that <laughs> that's probably true. pretty accurate. Yeah, you know, there's and, pastor, yeah. there's untold hours of prayer and yeah. of ministers that I've talked to and I plan on talking to um, for. For, for this uh, podcast, and you guys will get to hear about untold hours of prayer and studying, and just trying to feel out the the um, what God has to say to them, and uh, then they go preach for an hour when they've been in the prayer room for a couple hours that week, you know, 10, 15 hours just throughout the week, and they go preach the pulpit for an hour. And sometimes if God does it, yeah. they've been pre- they 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 studied for. Uh, you know, all week, and then they have 15 minutes, and then the altars are full. So the pulpit yeah. is not the important thing. It's what God has to say and what it's, God has to do. Right. Um, and that's another great aspect that the uh, minister's wife or minister, um, sometimes, you know, as life goes on, it's not always the minister's wife. Um, there could be some, some both of them may preach as often, but um, in this case here uh, with Coley and Anna, that... Um, the minister's wife does play an important role, and I think that that dynamic is very, very important, and it also helps because it can be very lonely in ministry at times. Um, but I think for the most part, uh, that's all I have got to say um, for, for this side of things. Do you have anything extra? I, I will tell you a, a blip of a story. Um, because I was born and raised in a pastor's home, I really did not... At the time, I did not think I wanted to marry a preacher. I didn't want anything to do mm-hmm. <laughs> to do with it. Um, I had seen, obviously, when you grow up in a pastor's home, you see the good side of pastoring. You, you, there's mm-hmm. obviously privileges that come with that, and then there's some hurtful, mm-hmm. um, the hurtful aspects of being in a pastor's home. I didn't really want that. I wanted a nine to fiver. Church, church on the weekend because I didn't want to feel mm-hmm. some of the hurt that I had already felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think Coley come to me right before we got married, and I think I'm called to preach. And I was like, Nah, no, you're not. <laughs> you, you, just, you just think you are. So I did struggle with that for a minute. Um, and somebody told me you can either make or break him. You can either make or break his ministry. Um, and once I once I come to terms with, okay, this is where God's sending me. This is where God's going to take me. I had to, like, jump on board or either let him go because I was not going to hold him back from doing what God's called him to do. That was not my place. Mm-hmm. And if I was going to do that, I needed to let him go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like, no, I was I got blessed with mm-hmm. a very good man. So I jumped on board, and my thought process was, if if God has called him, God has called me, mm-hmm. and it is my job to to help him be the greatest man that God wants him to be. Mm-hmm. To whatever door God opens for him, I'm going to be right there behind him going mm-hmm. through it. Um, so that I think that sometimes would be encouraging for other ministers wives don't break your husband mm-hmm. don't don't pull him down encourage him um lift them up 
when they when they do great, be the first mm-hmm. one to tell them they do great. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when they don't do so great, <laughs> you mm-hmm. be the first to encourage them to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and never try to hurt them. Always build them up because you can tear them down. Mm-hmm. And, but you can make or break them. Not, mm-hmm. um, and your job should be to just encourage them and be the best. Yep. Encourage them to be the best that God has for them. Mm-hmm. One aspect that um, I did that I have noticed, and it doesn't take away from either the evangelist or the evangelist's wife. It doesn't take away from either, and I think it just um, shows an extra dimension. Is while the evangelist has to spend a lot of time, maybe with other preachers, you know, playing for an event or doing something, or if he's studying, whatever he's doing, that the evangelist's wife, if they have kids like you guys do, have to um, attend to that. And you also have to have your own prayer life, but you also have to take care of the kids. Um, and that's one thing that I think is uh, important that in, I've seen uh, quite a few times uh, in my church and that I'll see the minister's wife with her hand on on the child or whatever, their son or their daughter, and the other hand in the air praising and praying at the altar. And I think that's an important aspect that can be overlooked that they also have to tend to the things of the flesh and tend to the things of, you know, the home and, you know, just a bunch of different things, you know, kids making meals, doing a bunch of different stuff that isn't always, um, this is, you know, apart from the spiritual side of things, even though you can, technically you can input anything spiritual into everything that you do and like you should, but um, things like that have to be looked out for and have to be done. And that's one thing that I think a lot of people have to overlook and do. Um, I think that's most of what I have to say, most of what I've had to ask. If you guys have anything to put on top of what I've what I had to cap it off, um, you're welcome to. Um, you guys good? I'm good, absolutely. I'm good. Amazing. Amen. Well, thank you guys Honor for to be here. thank you guys for coming. It's been truly an honor for me uh, to interview you two amazing people. I pray that you guys continue to use your ministry and use your anointing and do what you do best and work with God and um, further the kingdom. And thank you for having this opportunity to impart wisdom. Amen. Amen. Thank you for having us. Mm